Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. I'd like to introduce you to Philip Edison. Philip is passionate about the role that procurement professionals and leaders can plan in creating a competitive advantage for their organisations. Over a two-decade career spanning the entire procurement value chain from buyer to head of procurement as a practitioner and consultant, Philip observed firsthand the challenges that procurement professionals face in fighting the status quo and, ultimately, in fulfilling their potential. Philip founded Art of Procurement in 2015 as a way to empower procurement professionals at all levels to deliver change with confidence, whether from the inspiration of the popular weekly podcast that he hosts or with targeted solution offerings that guide clients on their journey to transform the impact of procurement. Now let's dig into this interesting episode. Well, thank you, Philip, for joining me. I'm really pleased to learn more about these exciting topics. Well, Nat, thank you very much for inviting me on the show. So I think it's best if we start with, start with procurement and then we sort of lead into negotiation, if that's, uh, if that's all right. Sure. So where would you start if you were, if you were thinking about buying something and yeah. you, know, you might be an experienced procurement officer or you might be just, just learning how to buy something? Mm-hmm. Where, do you, where do you start? So for somebody who's within the procurement kind of side of the business and they're helping somebody within the business buy something, what's really important to me is, is understanding truly what the outcomes that that person wants to deliver. Because, you know, a product or a service that you buy is really only a vehicle for an outcome. And I think that's something that often gets really lost is we get too fixated on this is what a, the specification of this widget is, or these are all the different elements of this particular service. Um, we get so kind of stuck in the weeds of that, that you lose the, the sight of, I actually want it because we need to increase, um, you know, the, some customer satisfaction, let's say, or we want to bring in, uh, in increase uh, the conversion rate within our marketing funnel by 1%. It's really focusing on the end game rather than the thing you're buying itself. I think it's just something that's really important to do that we often forget. That's really good advice. Yeah, I agree completely. I think there's so many people that certainly in marketing, for one example, they're just kind of, they're told to kind of, you know, go and do all these things and they might be tracking the wrong metrics. So, mm-hmm. I think certainly finding out the, the right place to start is definitely, definitely the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And metrics is a struggle for procurement folks because most procurement folks are measured on cost savings. So they measured, that's their ROI to their business is, you know, I saved this year a million dollars, let's just say. And that's how they measured. So 
that leads to a lot of short-term thinking. Um, for procurement groups, um, one, I think they have a challenge of how to change the metrics, the way that they're measured. Some of that relates to how they positioned their role within the business because procurement for a long time has positioned itself as the cost saver. And therefore, it's just easy for people to see them and think of them as being somebody who only is concerned with saving money and saving money at all costs. You know, obviously that's not often the best long-term business strategy is to just focus on saving money. Um, for procurement folks who are thinking beyond that, that they're looking at, as I say before, what are, the, what are you trying to help the business to achieve? Um, you, I always tell people they're not going to get fired if they did a great job in helping their business buy what they want and achieve the results that they want. They could get fired for saving more money than the business wanted them to save, but by upsetting everybody in the process. Right. And when you mean upsetting everyone in the process, you mean mm -hmm. upsetting the suppliers, right? Yeah, the suppliers, the stakeholders. Now, that's not to say that you have to be, um, you know, subservient to those. But I think so much of what we do is based or should be based on relationships. Mm -hmm. And there's a tendency sometimes to push a supplier. For example, just using the word vendor, you know, suggests it's a very transactional relationship. Yeah. Whereas most relationships with suppliers are ones of partnership. And we often lose that. And so we just get what we you know, we buy the spec, we get the spec, you get nothing more. Um, and for procurement to really be a competitive advantage for our business, you need to find ways to go above and beyond in terms of the value that you're getting from a supplier relationship. And you don't do that by just having a transactional relationship with a supplier. Yeah, very much so. And I think I think it's also the added value as well that can be, I mean, you might be buying one thing, but they might actually be able to, you know, potentially might give you free advice on, on something right. and actually consult with you and sort of give you, give you ways to actually save money in other areas, which are yeah. directly related, you know? Yeah. Being open to ideas um, of, because the suppliers know better than you do how to approach a problem. Now you may not think that, and that's a big leap in mindset, but they work in this, in the area of whatever you're buying from them every single day. They've seen what works. They've seen what doesn't work. So be open to their suggestions of how to approach a particular challenge rather than telling them what your approach to solving that particular challenge is, I think is one of the things that's really important. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, I, I did a little bit of purchasing. My dad used to run a winery and for okay for the sort of last year I was there, I did a bit of purchasing, you know, so I would, I actually did some negotiations as well with, mm -hmm. with, uh, with some, some customers, some distributors, but it was very difficult negotiating. I mean, there are, you know, when you're buying glass bottles, there's a very, very high price. Glass bottles yeah. are one of the most expensive things to buy in the, in the wine industry. And it was, it was, it was amazing that, you know, you would look at, very few different suppliers. Uh, there are like probably three, maybe mm -hmm. four suppliers that you can deal with. And in fact, you know, you had to sort of look at the quantities and say, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to buy, you know, it's quite a small amount for a lot of companies, but for, yeah. for us and for the people in the wine industry, it was quite a lot. So we would, you know, we would buy like one articulated lorry full of bottles, maybe yeah. perhaps every, you know, with a trailer on the back that would, that mm -hmm. would come and it was it was really tough negotiating with these guys because it's almost like in that industry and also in some other sectors they've actually pretty much i'm not going to say fixed the price but i would yeah. say that they have benchmarked let's mm -hmm. keep, let's have it like that yeah 
because I don't want to, you know, uh, upset anyone. But I think they've benchmarked the price to mm. such a degree that they know exactly where to price it so that, you know, you might negotiate a little bit, but they're not going to go down beyond that, basically. Yeah, they know the market yeah. uh, as well as you. But, you know, that doesn't mean that there is an opportunity to negotiate. So uh, an example from very early in my career, I used to be responsible for buying light bulbs for an automotive company. Oh, okay. Um, and there were three suppliers in the world that essentially supplied light bulbs to the automotive market. So not quite a monopoly, but again, almost uh, everyone, again, knows the prices for everything that's there. Yeah. But, you know, you start digging into each one of those providers. And, you know, the same could be true of the, the four providers of um, glass bottles in the wine business. Mm -hmm. They'll have certain manufacturing lines that are empty, uh, that have less capacity, or that they have less utilization, I'm sorry. Mm. Or they may want to work with particular brands for certain reasons or in certain uh, geographic locations because it's part of their expansion strategy. Right. There's things that you can find out that actually make you more attractive than what perhaps you would expect if you just went and did a traditional, hey, tell me your prices and do a negotiation. I get you. So, so, it's, more, so it's more about sort of times of the year, for example, minimum order quantities, delivery times, and this sort of stuff, or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things, so I was fortunate in able, that I was able to bring our, our light bulb spend down by about 25% over a wow. couple of years. Um, and that was, you know, there was a number of different tactics in doing it, uh, switching business, um, you know, actually shows that you're serious mm. when you go and ask for the best pricing. Cause if you don't get it, then you will move the business. And the first time you do that, people are a little bit, um, they don't think you're going to follow through on that because perhaps the business has never followed through before. Once you start following through and moving business, because, um, you know, you're telling them they're too expensive, for example, then they'll set up a notice the next time you do a negotiation and there'll actually be a lot more trust in what you're trying to tell them. They don't look at it as just being, you know, they're just trying to pull the wool over my eyes because they want a better price. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that really helped us do that was when you start to think about innovation. So even within a category that's as uh, traditional as light bulbs, which haven't changed much in, you know, a hundred plus years, there are still new innovations where each one of these, um, three suppliers are wanting to bring new products to market and you helping them bring those products to market means that you're going to get concessions on some of the traditional, you know, commoditized products that they're just churning out, you know, by the million because you're helping them in another area of their business. And so that was really a way for us to start building partnerships with some of these, um, the bulb manufacturers, as opposed to just looking at them as, you know, this year we're going to bid everything out and it's, whichever is the lowest price wins. Um, and that way you kind of, you, you talked about the benchmarking before, that's what you get. You get right. prices that are all pretty similar to each other. So it's understanding what they actually need in their business and how you can help achieve it. it helps you start build partnerships, which then gets concessions um, across the rest of the book of business you want to buy from them. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, it's, not, it's not an easy one, but I think, I think you've, you've really summed that up actually quite nicely. It's, it's, there are many different variable variables though, aren't there in, in procurement? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, you sort of got delivery terms, haven't you? You've got service, like what else, what else would you think affects procurement actually sitting there and, you know, say you're going to buy something from, from yeah. me, 
Yeah. Would you? Where would you start if you were buying something from me and and say there were ten people in the world that did exactly what I did? Mm-hmm. Um, well, just to step back, you know, what, what's a procurement person trying to do? They have four basic priorities. You know, one is to make sure that they ensure supply. So the business is never without the product or service that they want to buy. You know, two is to save money or at least feel like the business is getting value for money for what they spend with a supplier. Third is to reduce risk that's associated with buying the product or service you're buying or that's associated with the supplier that you're working with. And the last one is to increase revenue. You know, how do I help through the purchase of whatever it may be? And it may be when you start talking about innovation, how does that apply to helping my company um, spend, uh, sorry, to make more money, essentially, uh, bring in more revenue? Now, if I was looking at buying something from you for the first time, most procurement professionals will be trained to look at the product and service they're buying from you and basically bucket it into one of four boxes. What the booketing of it is doing is basically saying, hey, is this a commodity product where you're one of a, you know many different suppliers? Um, I can, if you fail, I can buy it easily from somebody else. The price ranges are pretty similar between all the players in the market. Um, there isn't a great deal of risk. You know, it's easy for me to switch to a different supplier if something goes wrong. Or on the other end of the spectrum, this is um, highly specific. There's very few players in the world. We want to build a, a really strong relationship with you and your company because we feel that that's going to be beneficial for our company. Um, we like other things about your business. You know, all the things that position you as someone we want you to be a real strategic partner with. We'll look at that continuum of, you know, I'm buying a screw versus I'm buying a $10 million system that's going to integrate into our end item or that we're going to outsource, you know, 20% of our business to you. And so therefore you're so critical to our success. Wherever you fit, uh, fit on that spectrum is going to determine the way the procurement person works with you. Right. And, and understanding where you fit is, is hard sometimes because we all believe that we um, provide a lot of value to our prospects. Yeah. Um, so you got to be, you got to really think, um, you know, in real terms about where you fit on that continuum. Because if you fit at one end where you're so important to them, that obviously means you can have a very different discussion and a very different negotiation. And if they think that they can just go to, you know, the next business down the road and get exactly the same from you. Yeah, yeah. There's a big, big, big problem with that. It's just, it's just commoditizing everything, isn't it? And putting mm-hmm. everyone into the same, the same sort of area, isn't it? Um, yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we unfortunately as procurement do more than, uh, and w- honestly what the show, The Art of Procurement that I host is trying to help people kind of get out of that mindset. Right. Is that not to try and bring everything down to an apples to apples comparison. Because that's what we often do. You know, those are the tools that we use are to try and make everything seem like it's ultimately the business is making a price-based decision. Right. When right. obviously for most of the things we buy, there are a lot more factors involved in it than just price. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of it is to do, you know, with just terms, you know, payment, mm-hmm. there's payment terms, isn't there? There, there? there are all sorts of sort of things. I think we should skip on to, unless you want to sort of, did you want to cover those other those other points that you were sort of, because um, you covered one, didn't you, out of four? Yeah, no, I just wanted to say, you know, I think it's just important to know when you're working with a procurement person, they just have those four kind of priorities in their mind. Um, and I just think that, I think, 
when you look at the relationship between procurement and sales, we often don't know sometimes why the other party exists. Right. And that leads to a lot of conflict. Um, just understanding and, and empathizing with what the other party is trying to achieve, I think really just helps to develop solutions that are win-win as opposed to just seeing it as a zero-sum game. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's certainly important. Those relationships that you're going to build are going to help you in all in all areas, aren't they? At the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it depends. You know, what kind of company do you want to be? Do you want to be known as the kind of company that just really sees their relationships as transactional with their supply base, or do you want to be seen as a company who really values um, their suppliers as partners? And you know, you look at over the last. 20 years or so. And I think fortunately this is changing now, but the auto manufacturers, you know, the U S based auto manufacturers, and I say this having worked within that industry, mm-hmm. um, would often see their suppliers as, um, not as partners, but as I say, a transaction, you know, we're going to buy this. We don't really trust them. Every negotiation is win lose. And it just builds a, um, it just, you really struggle to get the best innovation from your suppliers when you do that. And then you look at the Japanese suppliers or Japanese manufacturers, for example, Mm -hmm. and they see the world in a very different way in the the way that they work with their suppliers. And so if you are a supplier, where are you going to take your innovation? You're going to take it to the suppliers that treat you as a partner versus those that treat you as a transaction. Oh, of course you are because they're they're going to treat you better. I mean, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, so what do you think about sort of in procurement, like um, uh, actually, if you were trying to sell certain products, yeah, what mm-hmm. do you think about kind of entertaining your customers? Like, you know, you might invite them to Wimbledon or you might invite them yeah. to the box at the opera and, and this yeah. sort of stuff. Is, is that, is that going to make any difference to you as a procurement uh, professional or, or not? Or um, It's an interesting question. And, I'll be honest, you know, the last um, 10, 15 years, procurement folks have, have been a lot less likely to accept offers like that because they don't want there to be seen to be any impropriety. Right, um, of course. Now, of course. I've, I've been there. I've had, a, you know, been invited by a supplier to the box at Wimbledon and, and to the Open and to many of other different events. Um, you know, I'd have been fortunate to be able to go to those. But one of the suppliers I was telling you about earlier uh, in the light bulb example, yeah. um, they were probably the one that were inviting me to go and do those things and they got hit the most really? when I did the uh, switching around the business. So uh-huh. it honestly has, ultimately, <clears throat> it has on a procurement person pretty limited um, impact. I would say on most. Sure, there may be some that it has an impact on. What I would say is that as somebody selling into procurement, you know, you want to make the procurement person your advocate. So a procurement person, you know, they ultimately buying decisions are made by stakeholders. And a procurement person is helping with the process uh, and a lot more, but that's a key part of the role is supporting the stakeholder in making a decision. So a lot of people work with procurement and see them as, you know, I want to sideline them and go around them because I've heard all these horror stories. Well, what that's going to do is it's going to create somebody within procurement who actually is probably not inclined to want to help you win the business you want to win. If you build an advocate of somebody in procurement, so you're open, you're transparent, um, you don't, it's not like you're trying to go around them. 
Um, you know, if they believe in your product, they're going to do everything that they can to help you in that business. Right. So it really, how you approach the procurement person, I think uh, does have an impact on whether you win business or not, or whether you win, let's say, sustainable long-term business. Because you could go around a procurement person and win business once. The likelihood is it's going to be much, much harder for you to win business with that company again while that procurement person is still there. Right, right. Yeah, I believe I believe in that completely. Making friends in businesses or, you know, people who trust you, you trust them. Good relationships are absolutely key. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Um, yeah, I- yeah. And I think, you know, I've had uh, instances where I've built really strong relationships with um, prospects, you know, in an RFP process, for example, mm-hmm. who are, I may have advocated for, but for one reason or another, they didn't win the business. You know, maybe they just weren't right for the business yeah. at that point in time. You know, but the fact is, two years, three years, five years down the line, whatever it may be, well, we may all be in different companies. And yeah. you built that relationship and, you know, I would go back to that person. I've found a way to work with them in other organizations. Yeah. So, um, you know, you never lose that if you at least are um, trying to, I guess, be open with the procurement person uh, and want to build a relationship with them as well. Um, even if you don't win the business this time around, there's a chance you might, you may be working with them again in the future. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think because there are many, many criteria, all it takes is for a few bits and pieces on that on that form to not yeah. fit, you know, your business. I mean, it might say, well, you know, we're not going to work with any business that's below five million turnover mm-hmm. or it's or it's below 50 million or it's it's only been in business for, for five years. Like, we, yeah. you know, it could be all sorts of different criteria, right, that you could actually just lose the business from might just be down to the spec of the of, of the particular product or service, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's so many variables. But unfortunately, you know, as I've been on the other side now, you never really know. Um, you can do everything that you can to try and find out under what criteria a business is going to be awarded on. Yeah. But there are a lot of variables. And at the end of the day, you know, people people who are buying from suppliers, most of them they want to minimize uh, risk yeah. in the first instance. Yeah. And whether that's risk for the business or whether that's risk on their own personal reputation. Yep. Both. That's the, yeah. that's the lens that they're going to be looking at a buying decision through. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. It's not, it's, it's, um, it's not really complicated, is it? But it's, no. it's a lot, I mean, there's a lot involved. Um, but it's not, we, we joke about the fact procurement certainly isn't rocket science. And when you're trying to distill it, it's very common sense. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, like you said, that it's easy. No, but that's the same with sales, isn't it? I mean, if, mm-hmm. I think if, if sales and marketing and procurement actually got on a bit better, I think life would yeah. be a lot easier, wouldn't it, really? M- me too. Um, yeah, that's what I try and advocate for. Yeah. Um, because there's, you know, great things can happen when people trust each other. Yeah. Um, but there's a long way to go, I think, before sales and procurement folks generally trust each other. Oh, very much so. But I think there's a lot of great stuff happening in the supply chain these days. I mean, I don't think we should talk too much about that today. Um, but I think, you know, with sort of artificial intelligence and data and, um, you know, being able to actually track things all the way, all the way from the field yeah. to the bottle or, or the table, uh, just as one example. I mean, I've heard that, that food prices apparently, uh, well, food costs are, are actually going to come down by 15%. Is that, 
is what I heard. No, food wastage. That was it. I was talking to someone about that the other day. And that's purely because of supply and demand and actually making sure that we're not overproducing, but also with the water and actually being able to to monitor the amount of water that's actually needed versus Mm. the water that is wasted. Wasted. Yeah, and the vitamins, you know, in the soil and and, and all these sorts of fertilisers and this. So I think we've got quite an exciting future ahead, providing that is actually given back. You know, there needs to be a kind of ethical policy, doesn't there, to procurement and also doing business in general. Yeah, I mean, procurement folks are certainly um, getting more involved in sustainability and helping with sustainability. What's what's interesting to me, you know, I did the podcast I've mentioned before in procurement space. Mm-hmm. Still, the episodes that have the lowest numbers of downloads are the ones where I talk about supply chain uh, sustainability. Right. So I think we've still got a long way to go in terms of um, that really being a seen as being a core, like we have to do this. Yeah. Um, within supply chain, you know, I, I know it, it's not an area I've spent a lot of time in for a while, although I say that I did um, co-author a book recently within supply chain, but looking at supply chain visibility. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because it kind of touches on the point that you said before around data is we're now becoming so more, so, so much better informed about where a particular um, item that's within a truck, for example, is at any point in the supply chain that you can plan around that rather than just waiting for it to show up somewhere. Yeah. Or you can, um, within the food example, I, I used to work for Chiquita, the banana grower. Oh, wow. A good few cool. years ago. <laughs> and um, we would have, you know, you never quite know what the temperature is on the truck. Well, now you have sensors everywhere that can tell you exactly what temperature that banana has been um, um, exposed to from the moment it was picked at the plantation until it goes in the store. And so you can then quickly make adjustments if you see in a container, for example, that um, the banana is, the, the temperature within there is too uh, warm or too cold. You know, you can make those adjustments because you have the data that tells you it. Whereas before, you just have to wait till it turned up at the port, you know, and you have a container full of spoiled bananas. Right. So, you wow. know, it definitely is possible these days to have so much more insight into what the supply chain looks like for essentially anything. And then you can plan around it, which mm-hmm. takes out the efficiencies or the inefficiencies in those processes. Yeah. And the higher quality. I mean, I was talking to, um, talking to a gentleman the other day who did an interview with him. He's, he's actually launched. He was the, he was the, uh, the chairman of uh, Brook Laddie, the distillery in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you're into your single malt, then this is the distillery that right. kind of, well it kind of came in and it and it sort of disrupted the the kind of age old spirits business and it said well we're actually going to use um, ingredients from local farmers and we're going to work mm. with local farmers to actually grow the, the barley yeah. Yeah? yeah and and they did that and then they basically sold sold the business uh, for a, a big chunk of change uh, to to a big big company. And since then, they've actually gone on to create two two new distilleries. One's one's in Grenada for rum, mm-hmm. and they're actually growing they're actually growing sugarcane in Grenada. But they went to Grenada and they said, "Well, we're we're opening this distillery, and 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 we want to help you to make money." And they went and spoke to all the people that own the land, and and the, yeah. and then they said, "We're going to pay you more than you've ever made on this piece of land." 
if you grow this and then we're going to give you we're going to give you the sugar cane to grow and we're going to tell you how to do it and we're going to provide you the tractors and we're going to help you but they said no because they were suspicious because it just because they couldn't understand it yeah, yeah, they couldn't understand it. And, and, and they've actually done this in Ireland and, and, and they're basically working with the local farmers in, in Ireland with, with growing the barley and to create an Irish single malt whiskey, basically. Right. And it's so interesting to actually be able to track the flavour from each one of those fields so they can actually turn around to, I mean, he was telling me that the farmers in Islay were actually speaking to each other and saying, well, Taste the whiskey that came from my field. Interesting. You can taste the difference between uh-huh. the whiskey there, and it's and it's just it's messing up the drinks industry completely because it's making the consumer realise that there is flavour that comes from the soil, and mm-hmm. that it is possible to buy local local product, yeah. and work with local farmers, and people get paid a fair amount of money for their grain and barley and everything instead of the cutthroat Euro market of, oh, well, we can buy a whiskey now in Scotland. Oh, it doesn't matter where the barley comes from. It's just mm-hmm. from the Euro market, right? Yeah, it's just all part of the manufacturing process, like a exactly. standard manufacturing process. Exactly, which annoy- it annoys me. The cheapness of ingredients annoys me. I mean, I think, you know, quality, yes, comes at a price, but the actual price of the ingredients for things like that are, you know, the amount of money you're going to save in transport yeah probably you know because that comes into the negotiations doesn't it and well it's it's interesting that how standardization basically leads to commoditization Mm. and um the fact that you know people in this in that example i'm uh, probably less concerned about what the taste is uh, over let's just create something as cheaply as we possibly can yeah. And you lose sight. We're going back to what we said at the very beginning of what the outcome is that you're trying to drive versus, you know, what's the cheapest way to get something that looks kind of like it. Where would you start then with, with negotiation? Like, would you, would you determine the price and then the other person determines the terms or would you, would you try and do it the other way around? Or how would you begin with negotiation? Yeah, so I think in the more traditional procurement model, it's, you know, I'm going to put a scope out to you or a, um, a, a specification, you give me a price, and I'll decide whether I like that or not and try and negotiate accordingly. And, you know, what, whether, what goes into I decide whether I like that or not has, of course, many different factors. Uh, it could be um, on the... I'd say the bad end of things is just, hey, I'm going to tell you I don't like it because I think I got leverage over you. And um, it's not particularly ethical to do that, but it's, it exists uh, right. just to try and get as much as you can because you think you've got a position of power, mm-hmm. which is something that I hate, to be honest with you, is yeah. power dynamics in negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. But it works um, in some cases. So the other end of the spectrum of, you know, I've done a detailed cost, um, cost modeling um, you've put, you've given, shown me your books because we're in a partnership. Right. And I still think that your take your your profit margin of twenty five percent that you've applied there is too expensive, and these are all the reasons why, based on what I know of the market. Right, and it can be anywhere in between that. Right, I've um, been on that side of things. I had to negotiate with a, so I was selling some mead, honey wine, mm-hmm. yeah, and we used to export to the states. So my dad went to MIT, and. The other guy, he went to Harvard, 
So mm-hmm. my dad was teaching me how to negotiate against this guy from Harvard, yeah? Right. And it was really, yeah. really interesting experience. Yeah. I've never learned so much in the space of three days in my life, seriously. And, and it was kind of like, you know, everything we would go back with, he would come back with something else. So mm-hmm. we would say, well, the price of honey has gone up and it's gone up by 35% and, and, and per X amount and blah, blah, blah. And, and then the bottle price has gone up and then the price of this has gone up. And, and then he would come back with, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, I think the price, the dollar versus the pound and, right. and that. And, you know, so we would, it's a bit like being in a Thai market in Bangkok. Right. You, you know, you, you kind of start a little bit away from where you mm-hmm. want to get to. Um, and then, <laughs> but I had, I had a lot of fun with that guy, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. You know, so much of it is, is how do you know your business as much as they know your business? Yes. Because um, an example I can think of is, and this is back when, um, it must be 10 years ago now, and uh, when oil prices were just going through the roof, you know, every single day. Mm-hmm. And um, I was helping a company buy trucking and logistics. Okay. And the CEO of this company had committed to the market. They were a publicly traded company. Mm. That they were going to save all this money now on um, logistics because the price of oil had now started to fall. So it peaked out. It was starting to fall. Um, we're just going into the recession. Oof. And, you know, now it was let's say 60 bucks a gallon, sorry, a barrel, whereas before it was 150 bucks a barrel. So he's telling Wall Street he's going to save all this money. What he didn't realize or hadn't factored in was that actually that may be true, but the cost of oil or gas or petrol in shipping is only, you know, 15, 20% of the total cost. Right. And the bigger cost is the the humans. And there was a shortage of drivers. Yep. So anything that was coming down in, um, in the gas prices, was going, is going to be hit because now there's a shortage of drivers and his uh, employment costs are going to be higher. And so, you know, it just reminded me of the backwards and forwards you say before, because ultimately there's things that you may think are rational, but when you start looking at the data behind them, it may tell you a different story. And so it's one thing is just not to assume that you know the impact of a particular cost driver without truly knowing what the, all the cost drivers and how uh, those build up ultimately what the final cost is. If you could see me now, I'm nodding away. Right. <laughs> because like, that's just so true. It's because mm-hmm. if you don't know, it's like you're just, you're going to have, that's why taking the process and taking time and not rushing into things is, is really important. And yeah. prior planning, right? I mean, what do they say? Prior planning beats piss poor performance. I don't like to swear, but that's what they say, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, when, when you told me we we're going to, uh, ask some questions about negotiating. I wrote some tips down. The number one tip was be prepared. You know, 90% preparation, 10% execution wow. for a negotiation. Wow. And, and a lot of people struggle with that because we're all running like headless chickens mm-hmm. from one meeting to, an, to the next. But, yeah. And planning doesn't mean have a strategic plan of how you're going to approach this negotiation. It means how am I going to plan for the next email? You know, how am I going to plan for the next call? How am I going to plan for the next meeting? How does that fit into my overarching negotiation strategy? Um, That's the level of planning that we really need to be doing. And it's the level of planning that very few of us, myself included, Mm -hmm. um, you know, struggle to do because you you always find it difficult to find the time. But you can be pretty sure that the person on the other side of the table who is going to be commissioned based on 
the you know his final price has probably done that preparation. Oh yeah, which, which is going to leave you at a disadvantage. Oh yeah. So so would you think a good place to start is to write down on a piece of paper, draw one line down the middle, and put on the left what he wants, and on the right what you want. Yeah, uh, I would say that and. Um, understand it goes to, to something I said about the light bulb example again earlier. When you're doing that, un- understand what's important to them because what's important might not be what looks like it's important on the, f- the face level. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you another example. You know, one of the things uh, I bought in my past was a childcare center. Oh, cool. So I bought some weird and wonderful random things. So <laughs> this was a pharma company in the UK. Okay. They had, they had their um, their head office in the UK was in a very remote location. Mm-hmm. And so they had to do everything they could to attract scientists, essentially, to come and work for them. And one of the things that they wanted to do was to um, develop and build a childcare center on site, um, you know, because they were targeting employees who, were, uh, who may have kids who were... Yeah you know, five, 10 years old, whatever. Uh, probably, sorry, lower than that, before school age. Yeah, so it was... Not yeah, to four or Not to four or five, yeah. Yeah. Um, but they couldn't afford to build it themselves. Mm-hmm. So we went to market, um, you know, all the bids came in too expensive. But we found a provider who was a US-based provider who uh, actually wanted to get their foothold in the UK market with such a big company as a big brand like yep. we were. Yep. Um, it was only from understanding that that we were then able to turn that into a deal where ultimately it was no cost to us. You know, we gave them a building because we had a building that was empty. They ran the center and they ran it at their cost. We were able to provide the service back to the employees without it costing us um, a penny other than the, like the opportunity cost of not using this building that was already empty. Nice. So if we'd have gone to market just thinking this is a price-based decision, we would have never got there. We would have ultimately never been able to, um, when, when our budget got cut, we'd never been able to put a childcare center in place. But by understanding they had different motivations led to a completely different deal than we thought was possible when we started. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. That's really exciting. Do you know what? I think I might've actually read about that. Was it in the newspapers? I have no idea. I mean, it could have been, but I have no idea. Which part of the country was it in out of interest? It was in Kent. Yeah. I think I might've read something quite a few years ago. Yeah, this will have been 2000 and when I was there, 2004, 2005. I seem to remember reading something about that in the paper. I think it's a brilliant idea. More businesses need to do that sort of stuff, you know. There's no doubt about it. But I like the idea of just thinking, what do they want? Maybe just ask them, you know. Ask them, find out about their business, you know. sort of Because you may be surprised. Yeah. Um, and you may, you may be able to make things possible that you didn't think were possible because you just assumed yeah. that all they wanted was the best uh, financial deal. Yeah. You know, and as a small business, I know that, well, yes, I, I always want to have as good a financial deal as I possibly can. It's not the only thing that's important to me. So I'll make concessions right. financially for other things that may be, you know, additive for my business. Yeah. Well, it might be just an introduction. You know, yeah. they might say to you, well, I'll tell you what, you know, I'm only going to buy 50 of these or 200 of these, but I will introduce you to a very good friend of mine who does the purchasing for a very large chain of, of shops yeah. or, or uh, hubs or 
whatever, you know. Yeah, I'll do a case study with you. Um, yeah. Or you can use my, you can use this testimonial on your website or, you know, just things that don't actually take that much, but have a big difference, a big impact for you. Yeah, but also, I mean, when I was buying labels, we came up with a good, a good, a good idea because we didn't want to have the stock in our premise because it was too much to buy mm-hmm. the minimum quantity that they wanted us to buy. It was, it was too much. So we had to yeah. commit to a certain amount of labels, but we said, well, I'll tell you what, you know, you guys need to keep 75% of these labels there under your temperature controlled yeah. uh, environment. And we will draw upon them as we need them. And when we yeah. do, we will come and pick them up. So there are all sorts of different, different ways to kind of, skin the cat right let's right. it's skinning a cat at the end of yeah. The yeah 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 well philip it's it's been a pleasure and so if people want to go and listen to your show how do they how do they find you yeah the easiest way is just go to our website which is artofprocurement.com um and there'll be there'll be a link there for the podcast or just go to anywhere where you get your podcasts you know whether it's on itunes your podcast app uh, you can just search for Art of Procurement and it'll come up and subscribe, listen in there. We basically every single week we talk to different people within the procurement industry and outside the procurement industry to um, help inspire folks within procurement to really think more deeply about their value proposition, how they can make a difference for their company, how they can partner with others. Um, interestingly, I get a lot of feedback from folks outside of procurement, like in sales, business development, and account management, who listen because it helps them get a better understanding of the psyche of a procurement professional. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to listen because I've got there's a tender yeah. I'm working on coming up. All right. That's what you started saying about tendering really sort of hit home there. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like just working out what on earth they actually want is the most yeah. important thing. It's just like yeah. you know, put yourself in their shoes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't assume anything. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, there are, there's going to be procurement people who are more traditional procurement people who are there to run a process. Yeah. And there will be people who are there that are more commercially minded. Right. And, you know, being understand, being able to figure out which of the two that is will really help you determine what's the best way of approaching and working with that person. Right. Right. But the relationship is what matters yeah. really longer term. Yeah. And help them help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. That's been, it's been fantastic. Well, no, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.